0: Compete on every snap and have fun. And last, but most importantly, be physical. We gotta do something, they gotta do something. shoes on season two and along joining me is a partner of course Raquel Rodriguez.
1: Happy to be back and how are you doing this week?
0: Doing okay you know we it's it's right in the middle of the season everything is so busy and it seems like days are go on and on and on but you know isn't it fun to watch how all the excitement in college football in particular the crowds are back there's some unbelievable games and there's nothing and we've always said this you and I of course and I'll sure most of our listeners there's nothing like great college football games.
1: That's right and this was probably one of the craziest college football weekends we've had so far this season.
0: Yeah and there's still some more to come. I think it's you know in college in the college football world there's so many things that can happen you know with the young student athletes that you have and And uh, it's just fun to watch. And sometimes you're going to have a new new team emerge, so to speak. And I'm sure we'll talk about that as well.
1: So let's do a short recap. This past weekend, Alabama loses to Texas A&M on a field goal at the end of the game. So they took a loss. But it was, I mean, they came back. They were behind a little bit, but still a shocker to many.
0: Yeah, and it's the first time Coach Saban has ever lost to a former assistant. Right. It's our, our buddy Jimbo, who we go way back with. And uh, Nick was 24-0. and And Jimbo, nobody expected this because AM had been playing their backup quarterback, had struggled the last couple weeks, and he had a great game plan. They obviously uh, had a, had the crowd behind him and just played phenomenally just from the highlights that I saw and I think Alabama's still gonna be there at the oh, end. Yeah. You know, they always are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a huge win for Jimbo and and for the AM Aggies.
1: I think it kind of changed the whole trajectory of their season almost because a lot of people were kind of getting on them. But now, I mean, they might get a lot more support than they were having before.
0: Yeah, and they love football there, and right. there's no question that's very, very important. Uh, and then Jimbo's recruited well. I mean, they, they've got some players, but it you know, all started. You know, you, when you lose your starting quarterback, as we know, mm-hmm. uh, it's gonna, it takes sometimes a little while to get that guy adjusted and, and to figure out exactly what he can do well. And, and uh, from what I understand, he really, really played well in this game, and that's, uh, I think that's due to Jimbo and his work. Uh, you know, he's always been a great quarterback guy, and his work with his backup uh, won the game for him.
1: And speaking of quarterbacks, there's a little bit of quarterback controversy there at Oklahoma, but what an exciting game between Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma was down 21 and came back and won.
0: The Red River, River rivalry. Say, <laughs> Say that three, <laughs> three times fast. Yeah, and, and, and Sark's got him scoring some points at Texas, and he's got some, uh, some really good players offensively. Uh, but Lincoln Riley uh, always is going to have Oklahoma ready to score some points. And, you know, they got some great skill players. That had to be, you know, I just saw, again, I just saw the highlights of it to come back from 21 in that type of environment intensity uh, with a freshman quarterback leading the way that wasn't even playing last year because of COVID in high school. So he really hadn't played football wow. in a year and a half and uh, led him to victory. And so I think – you know, again, that's such a great story in college football, see some of these young guys, and you're seeing so many. What's interesting, you're seeing so many young quarterbacks, freshmen or redshirt freshmen or sophomores, playing like a fourth- or fifth-year senior, which is mm-hmm. phenomenal.
1: And, of course, at Texas, another great player, I think people even have his name in some of the Heisman talks, Bijan Robinson from Tucson, Arizona, went to South Point where I went my last two years of high school. Did phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I remember Bijan. I think I offered him in eighth grade. <laughs> you know, he was, he was. Uh, we, were, we were at uh, at the U of A at the time, and you can see then this guy is a big time player. And he's, you know, he had a f- phenomenal high school career. He's been lights out since the day he stepped on campus at Texas, and just a great young man too. And right. you know, he's, you know, I think he's going to be up for the Heisman, if not mm-hmm. this year, certainly next year. And and uh, all he's meeting all the expectations they thought when he got there.
1: Yeah, he's. What, in sophomore right now and just playing phenomenal? And
0: he's he's big, he's strong, he's athletic, he loves football. He's just everything you want in a, in a big-time tailback.
1: Another big game this past weekend was Arkansas and Ole Miss went all the way up to 51-52, I think, and ended on a two-point conversion attempt. What did you think of that, and do you think you would have gone for it We'd at the end there? It.
0: Yeah, I've been in under many a couple 3 overtime games a couple overtime games uh, most of them were at home. So you have a little bit of, you think, the home field advantage. And it depends, like, are you confident that your defense can make a stop? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how's your kicking game? Do you have a better kicker than they do? The, some of those things come into factors. But sometimes you just want to go in a gut feeling. I'm sure Arkansas, uh, they made a great comeback to, to uh, score a touchdown at the end. And they felt, oh, we're on the road. We're not stopping them. Let's try to win it right here. And it's probably 50-50 whether you get it or not. Um, and if you're moving the ball that well, particularly that time of the game, you probably think, I can get a two-point conversion and win it right here. And uh, it didn't happen. But it was a lot of fun to watch. And those teams got some, some uh, offensive explosion. And, you know, Matt Corral continues to have a phenomenal year for, for Ole Miss.
1: That's right, and probably he was a major factor in determining, do I go for this two-point conversion, or, you know, if you go into overtime, Ole Miss was going to score, especially with Matt Corral.
0: Yeah, they're going to score, and they, and they have a, uh, you know, Arkansas really hadn't stopped them yet, and so you got to factor in, well, they're going to score. And the way it goes now, it's the two-point conversions in overtime. You know, can we stop on a two-point conversion? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, um, you yeah, know, I think the rule makes, is, is a good rule the way they have it right now, but – uh I, I would probably have went at least try to get into one overtime first mm-hmm. and see if we can make a play defensive and then after that, you know, decide to go for two from there on.
1: Do you think you I don't know, I can't remember of a game where you went for two to go for the win or do you normally kinda kick No, the show?
0: it always got we got the three overtime. Back then the rule was when you got third overtime you had to go for two and right. And um uh, um, I'm fortunate that we won all the ones you know the the weather was the one at Michigan against Illinois West Virginia against Louisville mm-hmm. you know we, uh, we had the overtime against the uh, Rutgers the one year when they were really good and we were able to win that um, get the conversion and stop them from getting their conversion so it kind of mm-hmm. came down to one one play at the end there too
1: let's move into the big Ten a little bit we've got a few undefeated teams in the big 10 right now and they're not Ohio State. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, look
0: at the Big Ten East. you got Ohio right. State, which is always over there. Michigan's off to a great start. Uh, Penn State State's off to a great start, even though they got beat by Iowa. And then Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Mel Tucker's done a phenomenal job, and they're undefeated. The Michigan-Michigan State game is going to be huge. It's always huge anyway. Right. But uh, now you're battling for a possible playoff bid, a possible uh, East, Big Ten East uh, first place standing there. So it's... The Big Ten East has always has been really, really strong, it's been, but it's been Ohio State dominant right now. Ohio State is still dominant, but Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, all have shown that they're uh, improved this year over last year.
1: I think maybe that last year for Michigan, not meeting their expectations, maybe a little fire under them, and they needed that, and this year have proven to just done really well.
0: Yeah, and I think COVID, you know, for a lot of programs, a lot of teams, COVID just set everybody back. And how did they, you know, one one factor into this year, Raquel, is how did teams recover or respond to COVID? Mm-hmm. Whether they have the super seniors back to give them extra guys on the roster, uh, did they, they grow and learn from the experience from last year, or did it decimate them mm-hmm. to the point where it's hard for them to get back? to where they want to get back to or get to where they want to get to. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing with that too. You know, with our with our team at Monroe, it just it was just an awful, awful everything that could go wrong COVID year. And it's been really hard to recover from that, but we're trying.
1: Another team that's really struggling with that as well is, of course, Arizona. They are still looking to get that first win in a couple of years, uh, obviously under a new staff right now. But there's, it's a struggle. It's it's a hard job.
0: It is. It's not an easy job. I mean, it's a great college town. You know, we love Tucson. And uh, we thought we had it kind of going in the right direction, too. It may be another conversation on Hard Edge Football Podcast. We can break that down. But it is, you know, you, you do, uh, do got to work hard. You got to have, have a plan. You know, I think, uh, you know, the school seems like they're very committed, you know, just judging on what they're doing with the staffing and facilities and things like that. But you got to get some confidence going. You got to get, you know, obviously the right players in there and have a plan for them. And then if you get a win or two, then it can help snowball for you. You know, right now, you know, there, there may be some doubt. But they're, uh, they're, I think this game, they play at Colorado this weekend. And uh, that's going to be a big, big game for them to try to get some confidence and get a W.
1: One thing that Arizona is now dealing with that, of course, we're dealing with here at Monroe more personally, but a lot of teams are dealing with is I feel like I'm seeing a lot of quarterback injuries now does it feel like there's more than usual this year it
0: probably seems that way but it's it's been like this every year and that's why I've always uh you know we've talked about it on this podcast before that you know, you got to get more than one quarterback ready you know you you better rep at least two and and probably three because it's such a long season you know we're gonna have 11 straight games and no open date and uh we're with our with our backup quarterback but you know we were able to get him and he's, he's a young guy but you know, we give our guys a lot of reps, you know, without knowing that our starter was going to get hurt. You know, uh, Arizona and Jordan McLeod, was there; he was the third guy to start, mm-hmm. but they felt comfortable with him in the last game or two that he was going to be the guy. And then all, all of a sudden, he gets hurt. So now you got to go back. The, the good thing about it, at least the guys are going back to have played and got some experience, right. as opposed to going to a guy that never has never played. So the guys they've played have gotten some game time in. Yeah, and, and they can uh, they already kind of know what those guys can do.
1: So what's under review this week is targeting. What is targeting? We don't seem to have a consistent call, ideal image. It's so confusing. What is it? How can we get this more across the board? Yeah, it
0: just seems to me too. I'm interested if our listeners are are seeing the same thing I am. And it's just so inconsistent in what's targeting, what's not targeting. I think the rules are pretty well defined. If you launch with with the uh, crown of the helmet uh, into a defenseless player, that's targeting. And then people say, "Well, if he's got to be, what if you do it in the chest or on the side?" it's still with the head down, the crown, the helmet, and you launch, you know, that should be a targeting. Right. And, uh, you know, sometimes offensive players launch too. And I think it could be called on the offensive guy. It never is. But uh, guys have to get that crown of the helmet out of part of now, The argument is going to be, well, he just put his head down at the last minute because the runner put his head, put his head down. Well, don't. Two wrongs don't make a right with that. Don't put your head down. You're going to, you know, I think the the protection is as much for the defensive guy or the guy that's leaving the crown of helmet than anybody else because nothing good's going to happen when you duck your head. Nothing's good going to happen when you lead with the crown of your helmet. And so the intent of the rule, I think, is outstanding. But the inconsistency in how they call it is what's driving, I think, players and coaches and fans crazy because you can see a guy launch with his head down And they pick the flag up or they don't throw the flag. And then you see other times where it's like, oh, he was just, you know, he turned his head and he hit him with the shoulder. And that shouldn't have been uh, a targeting. So I I think the rules are pretty defined. They just have to enforce it the way it's defined.
1: That's right. And it's kind of confusing because I was at ULM's game this past weekend. And I think there were three targeting calls. They all seem to look like targeting to me. From my angle, but then, of course, when we go back to the Troy game where Rhett was hurt, and then he there was a targeting call in the third or fourth quarter, and they picked it up. Yeah, I don't know how they picked that uh, one. I I mean,
0: the first one they didn't call, right? and they should have called, and they said they should have called. And the one that they did call, and they picked it back up, should have still been targeting. It was the same type of deal when a guy launched. If you launch... With the crown of your helmet, your head down, and you launch, whether you're on offense, defense, special teams, that is targeting. You know, people used to call it spearing. Yeah. All right? Uh, it's targeting now, and it's a penalty, and it's it's they're trying to get that out of the game, and for good reason. Because I cringe every time I see that going, uh, that guys are putting their head down. But don't do that. It's always the old coaching tip, like see what you can hit. If you duck your head, you're not going to see what you can hit, and bad things are going to happen.
1: Yeah, and it just seems so inconsistent, obviously. From a few weeks ago with Rhett, at Troy, with Rhett playing against Troy, there were none. This past week, there were three. So it's just so And it's not that hard.
0: People say, well, yeah. it happens. Now, the game does happen fast. Anybody that's ever been, if you watch it on TV or even the stands, the game is a little bit slower. But if you're on the field level, uh, the game happens really, really fast. So the official might miss it. But the guy in the box isn't, because he can rewind it, and so whoever's got the buzzer up there, he can see that pretty clearly, particularly with all the slow motion and stuff you have. So, uh, and the problem is that I think the frustration sometimes goes that it takes so long to review. Oh yeah, it shouldn't take that long to review. Let's put a limit on it. You can rewind it in thirty seconds. You can rewind it about eight times. You know, get it rewound, see if it is, go with it, and go.
1: Yeah, it seems. Really confusing and perplexing how you can get a call wrong in these days with all of the angles, video footage you have, and time to review. It does seem confusing. Yeah, we have we have a tip
0: which for some of the uh, you know my college uh, colleagues that are that are watching this or listening to this thing there there is a, a little card that we make of plays that are reviewable sometimes the coaches will say well let's review it let's make them review it well that's not a reviewable thing it's usually if it's a judgment call it's not reviewable but there's a list of things and you could you could google that and get that a list of reviewable calls that uh, that you could take a time out and have them review or get to the official's attention for reviewable last thing you want to do is is challenge something and it's not reviewable So, uh, there's, there's a, there's an early tip Yeah,
1: (laughs) is, is,
0: uh, is get a list of what's reviewable. So somebody on your staff could say, Hey, uh, uh, you know, we need, we need to review that, you know, it's college and, and NFL.
1: Makes sense. And speaking of coaching tips, we've got a couple for you today. First one being more of a coaching general tip. What is it?
0: Well, in fact, it's, it's ironic because we have some, some really good young coaches here at ULM and. And uh, they've got you know a great future ahead of them, and so part of our responsibilities and my responsibilities, one of the older coaches, I guess, is to is to maybe give them a few coaching tips along the way, particularly as they're embarking on uh, this challenge that we have in Monroe. And I, I actually talked to them just the other day about this, and you know they, they want to know you know as much knowledge they can about their position so they can teach it well and all that, but they have to be careful that. That they're making sure they keep it as simple as possible for the players. You know, it's important that the players they feel that you know your position, you can help them, you know, have success and all that. But you have to be able to speak to them in terms that make the complex simple and make the simple things simpler. Because you know they're gonna be playing, they're not gonna be studying the game as much as as you are. They they've got class and other things. Plus, you know, they're they're not in the profession. They don't understand football as well. So try to make it as simple as you can. It's like a great math teacher, a geometry teacher, an algebra teacher. Uh, they could take a really hard subject and simplify it so you can understand it to have success. So a uh, coaching tip for all you coaches out there: you know don't you don't need to impress your players with your knowledge. Impress your impress your players with your ability to teach a particular scheme or a typical, particular aspect of football so they understand it. Make the complex simpler. And make the simple things even simpler as well.
1: And speaking of the younger coaches on ULM staff, do you think they probably think you're a little crazy and intense yet?
0: I'm sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> like what is so, uh, you know, I think a part of it is, is uh, maybe a little different. I mean, it's like every in practice to me is like a Super Bowl. Yeah, And I think typically a couple coaches, oh, they let that go. It was just a practice, you know, play on a Tuesday practice or a Wednesday practice or Thursday practice. And it's like, you know, it's like, no, every play is at the same intensity all the time. And, and I told the players, Raquel, the other day, I said, you might think I'm crazy, but I think it's just, I just want them to compete. You know, in, in, in the, the competitive, your most competitive guys, they take the same approach. I mean, every play, they want to win every play and all that. And I think the, the you know the best coaches take that same approach. They want to win and compete on every snap and every practice and certainly every play and every game.
1: I was joking with mom the other day that when a player misses a block, sometimes in practice, you act like it's the end of the
0: world. I know. I have. I I, I, got to, I know. I should chill out a little bit. I have been accused of. Of going over the top too much, and I agree.
1: And moving on to a little bit more of an X's and O's coaching tip, what do you have for us?
0: Well, I had it. we were talking. This is this is interesting now when you when you're uh, talking offensive football in particular. Today, people have um, or or schemes could have read routes. In other words, the receiver runs down the field, and he has it either could go deep or he can pull up based on the coverage. If the guy's playing soft on him, in the corner or whatever he'll pull up if the guy's playing tight on him he can go by him well how does a quarterback and receiver get on the same page well the quarterback can look at it and look at the receiver but does he does he know that the receiver is going to take off or pull up well one way that we do it on some of our read routes is that we'll we will tell the receiver if you're going to go deep and you think you got him deep while you're running at about the eight to ten yard mark you throw your hand up in the air and that tells the quarterback, ah, he's not pulling up, I'm throwing it over the top. And so that's a little bit of a cue. And it seems like it's awkward where you can do that, but really players can run without slowing down, throw their hand up in the air and let the quarterback know I'm taking this over the top, so throw me deep.
1: In your definition, what is um, the yardage between playing soft and hard when it comes to uh, the DBs and the receivers?
0: But normally you'll see it's typically around a 10-yard mark. You know, if, if a corner... Or safety is off about ten yards. He could squat and jump on a route, but you could probably throw something underneath of it. If he's in an in-between gray area between six, seven, eight yards, all right. Now you don't know whether he's going to be squatting on a on a route or whether he's going to turn and bail. And that's what's so important for receivers. And this is kind of another tip based on what your question, is that they need to come off the ball and threaten those corners. I always tell them, make them defend what they're defending. If that corner has a deep third, make him defend that deep third, so come off the ball like you're going to go buy him. If he's got a quarters coverage he's got a deep fourth, come off the ball and make him defend that quarters. Make him defend what he's defending, and then you will can can adjust your route accordingly.
1: What games are you looking forward to watching this weekend, or at least tuning into?
0: <laughs> yes, of, of, of course, uh, every weekend there seems to be a surprise, but always... As the season gets longer and you go further, the games are even more important. But One in particular in the state of Louisiana is the Florida Gators at LSU. Big rivalry, always a very important thing. Florida's coming off you know, a loss and LSU's coming off a loss, a couple losses in a row. You're going to see which team is going to be able to bounce back. LSU's got issues. Can they hold it together at home and beat Florida, which would be a huge win for the Tigers? But I also know Florida is going to get after it, and so uh, you know Florida's favored uh, by ten points or so. That should be a very interesting ball game. Another one I'm looking forward to is the undefeated battle between Kentucky and Georgia. Know all about Kentucky from playing them. Georgia's a big twenty-three point favorite, and Georgia's just been so dominant on defense that uh, nobody's really been able to to come close to them. But Kentucky is very good on defense, very good on defense, and they have an ability to throw the ball deep and got some speed. So if they could get a couple big plays, they could keep that game tight. I still think Georgia wins because their defense is so good, but I would not be surprised that it goes into later in the second half until Georgia Georgia can maybe pull away. The third game I'm looking forward to, West Coast, is for a battle for the Pac-12 South lead with Arizona State at Utah. The game is listed as even, Utah's had a couple losses. Arizona State is probably one of the most, most experienced teams in the Pac-12. Uh, that's a huge game every year. But at Utah and Arizona State, that'll be one that will determine the Pac-12 South, I think, in the future.
1: As we enter into Week 7, it only gets more interesting from here on out.
0: Every game. and I always, always tell our teams, the more you win, the more is at stake. Mm-hmm. And so as, as teams who continue to win now, particularly contending for conference championships or maybe even that playoff, uh, the, the weekends get bigger and bigger.
1: What teams would you put in your top four right now?
0: Easy one, Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, just again, so dominant on defense uh, until somebody can beat them or can even score touchdowns on them. You got to put Georgia number one. I'd put number two Iowa, even though I don't, don't think they're the second-best team in the country. They deserve to be at number two the way they've played. They're a very sound football team. You've got to beat Iowa. They're not going to beat themselves. And, you know, no, they've done a great job this year. Uh, I would put number three. The bet would be Alabama. Even though they lost at A&M in the in in last second, I think Alabama will still be there. It'll be Alabama-Georgia in the SEC championship game probably. And if Alabama can win that one, they'll both be in the playoffs. And then the fourth team, it's kind of a tie. Who answers that? Cincinnati's undefeated. Uh, I think they got a very good football team. And you remember, they played Georgia really lost in the last second in a bowl game last year and got most of their team back. So Cincinnati's probably in the lead for four, but I also would kind of rank uh, you know, some other teams – with them. Oklahoma's undefeated. They've given up some points, but they can score in anybody. So I think Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and even the Buckeyes of Ohio State seem to be getting on the road. Those are the three teams I think right now are probably close to the number four. And I think there's so much football to be uh, played that it'll probably sort out pretty well by the end of the year to clearly, so- clearly show who the top four is. But you know, I think there's going to be two from the SEC in Alabama and Georgia.
1: Do you think there's a chance that Cincinnati, if they continue to play how they're playing, gets into the college football playoff?
0: I think it's going to be interesting. I think if they go undefeated, certainly. If they lose a the game, they're out. But if they go undefeated and then Alabama loses and gets a second loss in the SEC championship game to Georgia probably, then they have an opportunity to do that. I don't think they'll be over. An under, I think an undefeated Oklahoma team would get in front of them. Mm-hmm. I think an undefeated Iowa team, of course, would be in front of them. But in a one-loss Alabama team, I think, will get picked in front of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, a two-loss team uh, will never be. I don't think will ever be put in front of an undefeated Cincinnati.
1: To close it out this week, as usual, we are going to do a short preview of ULM versus Liberty. We're of course coming off a couple losses, some um, to some good teams there, especially Coastal Liberty's also an extremely talented team. Their quarterback Malik Willis, very talented. What are you looking for this week? What are you preparing for?
0: Yeah, Liberty's one of the best group of five teams out there. They're, uh, they were last year as well. Uh, they got Hugh Freeze is the head coach. He's won a lot of games. He's got a great plan. You mentioned Malik Willis, who's uh, been on a lot of people's preseason Heisman list and has played every bit of it uh, this year. And they're talented on defense, too. They're Maybe the strength of their team, even with their great quarterback, is their defense. And so uh, – We've got another, it's going to be another huge, huge challenge for us. Uh, we were really banged up at the time right now. And, you know, we had nine, you know, it's not making excuses. We've had, we got nine stars on offense that weren't here in the spring. Mm. And so it's like we got nine freshmen, including quarterbacks that uh, their quarterback that's, that's, uh, that's going to be playing for us, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great challenge. I think our guys are, are excited about the challenge. You know, we understand that Liberty's got a really, really good football team. We've got a lot of work, a lot of things to clean up, but our guys' attitudes have been uh, outstanding. I and mean, we'll get another good week of work in and and get after it Saturday night.
1: Well, hopefully not that Liberty will do this, but sometimes ULM could be a hard place to come in and travel to, and maybe they'll be a little flat and it can get a things your they way. They could, and
0: we got to get some success early. When you when when yeah. you lose a couple games like we do, you lose a little bit of confidence. It helps to get off to a good start and get some confidence early. And it could be from a play on special teams, it could be a turnover on defense, it could be a big play from the offense. And so, hopefully, the guys will come and and we can do that. And who knows how they're going to play? You know, we were huge underdogs against Troy. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, uh, the over under in Vegas for Monroe this year, the number of games to win because they didn't win any last year, was one point five. And so we already got two. Well, okay, and we got seven left. And so we're huge underdogs, and I think thirty some points or something for this game. But if we can get some momentum going early, get a few big plays. Going, it could snowball, and and uh, who knows what will happen.
1: That's right, and I feel like with this past week against Georgia State, right at the beginning, we just had a couple calls, a couple plays that didn't necessarily go our way, and then I think it just kind of seemed to spiral from there.
0: Yeah, and it's almost like one bad, like you know, the ball slips out of the center's hand, then the ball slips out of the quarterback's hand, and then two guys on defense run into each other, and then it was you know we had missed a field, missed the field goal that doesn't happen, and and so there's a it was kind of a lot of things that were going on, but and that's part of the growing process that uh, we're trying to do in 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 this program and you know we're you're you know we're uh we're missing some of our key players like Rhett and some of these others but we've got some good players and in uh I really like their focus on practice but there's still a lot that they have to learn a lot that we have to teach as coaches and hopefully we'll get better
1: well I think that wraps up this week's episode
0: Yeah, uh, it's great to be back, by the way, Raquel, doing Hard Edge Football podcast.
1: Make sure to follow us on social media, Instagram at Hard Edge Football, Twitter at Hard Edge FB. And don't forget to send in your questions and we'll answer those on questions of the week.